welcome to the Forbes India cover story podcast series in association with theindicast.com. My name is Abhishek and this issue's cover story is one of the most talked about subjects in the recent past and that's the foreign direct investment in retail and the health of Indian retail in general. Joining me on the call this time are three illustrious names from this industry. The first, Rama Bijapurkar, an independent market strategy consultant and the author of the widely acclaimed We Are Like That Only, Understanding the Logic of Consumer India. Hi, Rama. It's nice to have you here. Hi, nice to be here. And we also have R. Sriram, formerly the CEO of Crossword. Hi, Sriram. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing very well. Thanks. Good to be here. Thank you. And we have S. Raghunandan, who has extensive operating experience in retail and mall development business. Hi, Raghu, to you too. Yeah, hi. And you all have joined hands to form your outfit called The Next Practice Retail and possibly are the best team to talk about modern retail and the recent decision of the government to invite you know more foreign investments in the fray. My first question to you, Rama, to begin with is that you know we keep hearing every once in two years or so that organized retail will be a game changer. And in your report, cover story, you pretty much bluntly say, and I quote, that there is no need for either great celebration or for deep despair over the idea that FDI in retail is now a reality. Why the middle stand and is it a good news or a bad news? I think the question should be asked is, is it as good news as the government says it will be or the protagonist for it say it will be or is it as bad news as those who are against it? Like everything in India, the highs are extremely high, the positives are high stuff and the negatives are alarmist. So what we're really doing is setting realism here. To say that FDI is a magic wand, I think we really severely need to caution against that, and I think that's really what we've done. So I don't know if that is the middle path, but that is the true path. Yes, we, we like to believe that this is the truth about modern retail, and we would like to discuss the myths and realities of uh, FDI in retail in India. And how much do you think have things changed in the past five to six years? Not very long ago, I did my MBA where my professors would doubt that the next big thing is retail and that's where the jobs will be. But it hasn't quite turned out. You yourself, Sriram, have been at the helm of one of the most successful bookstores in all of the country. So how much has retail changed in the past five or six years? You know, a lot of people don't remember that uh, Crossword was uh, founded in 1992. That's 21 years ago. Like Murthy often says, our overnight success took us 25 years. So whether it's naivety, whether it's in retail, you know, to build a solid business, to build a, a sustainable business, to scale a business successfully, does take a long time. It doesn't happen overnight. It seems so in hindsight. But really the path is long and hard. And especially as uh, we detail in the article, there are many complex aspects to the retail reality in India. While consumers are ready, the markets are not quite there yet. For instance, in terms of real estate availability, my first crossword store was on the first floor of a commercial building in um, in Bombay, in Mahalakshmi. My second store in 1994 was on the second floor of a retail building in uh, South X in Delhi. And my third store was in the basement of a complex in Ahmedabad, right, in 1995. Good God, whoever came to the basement... <laughs> Right. There was just no right physical space available for the bookstores that I wanted to set up. So I went where the space was available, not where I wanted to be. You know, we finally managed to make them successful destinations and we managed to create the right experiences for customers. But it was really, really hard. So that's the reality in India. That's one of the realities about finding the right space. 
second reality is, you know, once you get the right space, then, you know, how do you get customers there? Because very often these locations not where customers want to go. And third is, how do you manage the economics of the business? All of that. And of course, one of the mistakes I made was believing that the way to scale is to go from Bombay to Delhi and Delhi to Ahmedabad and then Chennai and Bangalore. And it took me some years to realize that the way to scale is to first penetrate a catchment that you first choose. In our case, what we should have first done was open 25 stores in Bombay before we went to Delhi. That way, we would have been profitable far faster, and we would have achieved benefits of scale, which took us many more years to achieve. Right. And Raghu, if we could have your word here with your experience in mall development. Sriram just mentioned about a few bottlenecks, one being real estate. What are some of the others that you think are the impediments as such in retail in India before we move on to the bigger question about FDI and all of that? Yeah, even before we look at malls, let me just sort of build upon what Sri Rama said in terms of retail realities. I was part of the first supermarket experiment in India in uh, when we launched Food World in 95-96 in Chennai. Sri Rama was lucky because his promoters gave him a store in Mahalakshmi in Bombay. We had to sell the bungalow of the former managing director of Spencer's to get money to fund our own retail initiative. Okay, that's how Food World was born. We signed the first five or six properties. You know, I want to share an anecdote, which is funny, but uh, really not funny in that sense. The day before we were to open our first Food World store, this was in May 96, just the previous evening, the cops came and put a no parking sign right outside the store. And, <laughs> and then my ops guys came running and they came to me and we all went to the store to figure out what had happened. Then we found out Three houses away from the store lived the daughter of the police commissioner. And she didn't want any disturbance. But she arranged <laughs> for a no parking site. Okay. I think so retail starts at that level. You need to start fixing things at the local level, which nobody outside India even understands. From those days, we've come you know, a long way when we're talking of malls and shortage or excess or whatever. But uh, when we started in the 90s, there were no stores. There were no malls in India. We had to find stores in, at least with Food World, I remember, we found stores in residential high streets. We couldn't afford commercial high streets or, you know, the commercial streets, the Brigade Roads of Bangalore or Mount Road of Chennai. We just couldn't afford. We had one or two company properties, but nothing beyond that. So the way we used to find stores was, I used to drive around various catchment areas in the city looking for space. Because there, there weren't even established property brokers. Collier's Jardine was the first company to set up as an IPC in India. And we tried getting the help, but we found out soon that nobody understood retail business in India. And so that's how we actually went about finding property. I had to actually find the first 20 properties by physically driving around the city. You know, And I think today retail has its kind of luxury to say there are malls and you can actually pick and choose. Right. Continuing from there, are there just too many malls or is the expansion happening too quickly now, today? I think in 2005-2006, after the first wave of malls, after Inorbit in Bombay and Forum in Bangalore and Select City Walk in Delhi had opened, suddenly everybody thought this was the next gold rush and everybody announced mall projects. By 2008-9, about 400 mall projects had been announced in India. It is our belief that half of them will not see light of day. So that leaves you with about 200 malls under various stages of planning, development, execution. Even in that, there are A-grade, B-grade and C-grade malls. So even if we were to build another 500 malls, it would not be enough for this country if you were to meet current and future demand. So that is the real situation. I, I, let me give you another figure. 
Uh, and this sort of blew me away because last year I, I was at an international conference in uh, France. There were people from from China who were developing malls, and somebody asked them, "How many? What is the true potential? How many malls can you build in China?" And they said, "We believe the potential is 12,000 malls for China. We are saying it's 400, 500 too many for India. People are talking of 12,000 malls in China. So that will give you some idea of scale and you know how far behind we are." How are some of these retailers in the organized market doing? And some of your cover story also goes quite in detail in terms of profitability, in terms of getting the revenues. How are some of the organized, you know, retailers doing in in India? The reality of the listed companies is there for everyone to see, whether it's a Future Group or the Shopstop or some of the other businesses. But we also know that uh, many retail businesses went bust because they took on too much debt. One of the realities we've talked about in our article is that to build successful, sustainable retail, you need patient capital. And in India, we don't have patient capital. The other thing we need is we need affordable capital. In India, capital comes at a very, very high price. Loans, for instance. I mean, we've seen what happened to the Future Group, who were unable to service their debt and had to sell one of their best brands and best businesses. If you were to look at operating margins in this business, it ranges from 20-25% from the in the supermarket business to maybe 30-35% in the the garments business. And if you were to look at uh, the cost of running the business. Occupation cost alone can be anywhere from 15% to 25% in this business, depending on where you want to operate. Then, if you look at energy costs, then you look at employment costs, then you look at cost of money. If you were just to take the four major costs in the business, you'll find that your business will be at negative. The only way you can get this business to a profitable level is either the throughput per square foot increases to the right level, or your margins significantly go up. Margins are not going to go up since business. Because the prices cannot go up to that level, so it's really the throughput per square foot, and there we have many other challenges. And whether you have patient capital to take you through the point where the scale benefit starts kicking in, you know that's the point where Indian retailers have not yet got to. Around the time that Ram has talked about, where we started talking about modern retail and we did conferences around modern retail, we called it modern retail. and a lot of us actually thought that modern a lot of retailers also thought that modern retail was about putting aisles and putting air conditioning and you know all the good stuff that is in the store i think it took almost almost 10 years before we actually well the less savvy of us actually figured out that it was not modern retail the what is organized retail because you had to really be organized in order to able to get benefits from the back end and pass them on to the front end So the promise of modern retail to customers is to be able to supply better for cheaper than the traditional retailer, which is why whenever foreigners ask me or anybody asks me, is the Indian consumer ready for modern retail or organized retail? To me, it's like saying, does anybody want a holiday in the Bahamas? I mean, of course, we all want it better for cheaper, and why the hell not? And it is in delivering that better for cheaper promise while being profitable. that you need to spend time and energy building the business and to your question about where are all the Indian retailers on this at this point i think when we start running out of patient money to build the business and fdr doesn't come in you could actually either stay where you are or if you borrowed heavily to finance this you could actually go double jump right and rama if we flip the question other way around and ask the foreign players 
would you like to come to india like you mentioned about the consumer would you want uh, mm-hmm. options so what are the foreign players saying given the situation that all three of you have explained where it's not exactly an enviable industry to be in and not everything is a cakewalk in spite of what we read about the next retail boom or revolution that keeps coming along in the papers so what are the foreign players saying well let's put it this way they have no choice but to come in because it's the biggest game left in town and so you have to come in and these opportunities we said once in every 50 years but i would say it's once in every 60 70 years that you suddenly get a market as big and interesting as ours and as virgin as far as modern retail is concerned coming along so i mean as i uh, often say to many mnc ceos and strategic analysts and so on you know the only way you're ever going to get your next promotion is if you show some big action and you have to show that big action here this is the only way to keep the street happy as well so you can't not be here i'm telling you what they they say to me but i am really only the consumer person what do they say to you first of all i tell you what we try and tell them quite often we said don't come in here expecting this is one homogeneous market this is not this is maybe 15 or 20 or 30 markets that is sort of rolled into one and you know masquerade is one but it's not one market you could be a huge retail player just in one region in this country and like sriram was correctly pointing out earlier it makes a lot of sense to look at a region sort of dominate that region saturate it and then move to another region region by region one region could be as big as europe for you today there are so many gaps in the marketplace that we need these retailers to fill these gaps whether it's in the fashion business whether it's in the food business whether it's in the health and beauty business anything across categories there are gaps in fact as we written in our in the in the cover story as well i mean we produce 21 million babies a year 7 out of 10 households have a child between the ages of 4 and 14 and we don't actually have toy stores we don't have children stores absolutely so and shriram i think crossword is also sort of stopping to be a bookstore rapidly so i think we don't have to be bookstores either rama why crossword yeah. landmark is becoming a toy store Uh, I just saw the new store, 10,000 square feet, 7,000 toys and gaming out of 10,000 now. <laughs> Books are an afterthought, tucked yeah. into one corner somewhere. What uh, we try and tell a lot of retailers and see if they've understood the overseas guys is this is not a cut-paste model. You can't come in here and say I've got this great format and I'm going to roll it out in India. It doesn't work like that. You've got to figure out: Are you meeting those needs? Is the customer ready? Can I give an example here? I'm sorry to cut you in, Raghu. You know, I, I think what better example can I give you than Walmart, which is known for big box, is aggressively planning to roll out 3,000 square foot supermarkets in India. I mean, that is the biggest change. I think they have supermarkets in one place in Latin America, but I don't. I'm not aware of any other country in the world where they where they're planning to roll out supermarkets in such large numbers. Why is that? First of all, you won't get the space. Uh, how many big boxes will you put up? Where is the infrastructure? You know, you don't have metros connected to stores where people can get down, buy the stuff, take a train, and go back home. It just doesn't work. We don't have out-of-town suburban locations which are easy to access. So you can keep talking about your big format. It doesn't work. I think they figured out early in the game that if they have to dominate this business, they have to dominate and cater to Indians where they want to shop. not where Walmart or somebody else wants to put up stores Marks and Spencer came into this country with a ridiculous positioning of being a premium high end store with 3000 square foot size stores the whole concept bomb i mean those indians and many indians know mns and in those who shop regularly whether it's london or dubai or singapore 
know what MNS's brand stood for. And these guys come in here with the premium thing, thinking they can fool Indian consumers. The whole thing bombed, and now they're slowly getting back on track. But they're tweaking. For example, I do know that in Chennai, in two months' time, they're going to open the first MNS men's store in India. And, you know, a small little thing the managing director of MNS shared with me. He said when they first launched in India, they launched shirts without pockets. Most Indian men don't wear shirts without pockets. Mistakes as basic as this. So if you bring in my your product from somewhere and say, this is who I am and I'm going to sell it, why Indian consumers are no different, they're aspirational, they're young, they have money, you're going to bomb. Isn't there enough amount of basic research done? I mean, is, isn't this elementary, uh, Raghu, about basic research before entering a market? You would think so, but evidence suggests it's not. If somebody sitting in London is going to dictate what kind of stores you should have and what kind of merchandise you should have without truly understanding, then I think you're asking for trouble. But Raghu, sure, this is common not just in retail, but to all the multinationals, uh, you know, Swatsikipalat called corporate imperialism. But I think it's based fundamentally on the idea either that market like India is 10 years behind or 20 years behind time, which is also basically wrong because we leapfrog, or it's predicated on the belief that, oh, well, if it works in Mexico, if it works in Thailand, if it works in Brazil, then there's no reason why it shouldn't work in India because people are people the world over. Last couple of questions, uh, if we can take the talk back to uh, the possible FDI, the announcements that are coming from the government and the speculations. There is a talk or a school of thought which says that it will be of immense benefit to the farmers or the small manufacturers from whom these uh, large format stores will buy directly from uh, when we are talking about food products. But your cover story very clinically says that that might not be the case. Could you explain with a couple of examples why is it so and what is the real deal? The first thing is most states in India have the APMC. Right. The Agricultural Produce Marketing Cooperative. You're supposed to buy fresh produce and grains only through the APMC. For example, in Bangalore, we have the APMC in a place called Yeshwanpur here. So any produce which comes through from the rest of Karnataka into Bangalore has to pass through Yeshwanpur. And you can only buy from an APMC licensed trader. Likewise, in uh, Bombay uh, and in Thana and other places, you have APMC. It adds a cost to the system. More than that, it brings an inefficiency into the system. So that is at the stage at which the retailer is willing to buy. But you need to go beyond that and you need to go to the farms. The reality of this business is we have very highly fragmented uh, farm holdings in India. So you don't have big farms where you can, like you have overseas where you can go and source tons of uh, fruit or vegetables. Most of these farmers are financed by the middlemen. Whether it's money for seeds, whether it's money for a wedding, whether it's money just to survive, whatever. They are financed by those guys. And they are at the mercy of those middlemen. The middlemen pick it up at the price they want and supply it through the APMC to others. So as long as finance is controlled by the middlemen, it's very difficult to penetrate and break through. You can do contract farming. In food world, we try contract farming. The problem is that the farmer doesn't care. End of the day, it's a thumbprint and he will sell to you know whoever is financing. He's not bothered about a contract. So it will take a long time to dismantle this protected uh, middleman system that we have. Most of these middlemen have some kind of political affiliation or the other. So it's not going to be easy to break it down. The other thing is, I don't see, and I think we've spoken about this in our article, none of us see the big foreign companies coming in investing heavily in the farm end. They are at best going to have collection centers and processing centers from which they can collect and you know either buy directly or through the APMC and bring in produce. But I don't see them going right up 
the farm into finance and give seeds and give inputs and so on. Uh, Rama, I don't know if you want to add anything. Uh, I just want to remind us that we are right now only allowing FDI into the top 40 cities. So as a result, but this is impacting a much smaller number of farmers. And the trouble with uh, this country is that the total number of farmers are so large that even if you're impacting 2 lakh hectares, which is 2 lakh farmers, to just supply vegetables, so just a drop in the ocean compared to the total number. So I think that's really our point, that when you say widespread change will happen, it's not going to touch the lives of all the farmers in that fashion. It will touch the lives of some people, touch it very well, but uh, there is the rest that will remain untouched. One last question on the same thought. Is the Indian retail taking the right steps to at least steady the ship when it comes to uh, getting the capital right or getting the infrastructure like the last mile? Are we on the right path to in the next few years? I think the government has taken the first step and it's a welcome step in terms of opening up FDI because end of the day, I think the global retailers are ready to enter India. There are Indian retailers who want to grow. The consumer is there. The market is there. But it's not the job of retail to fix infrastructure. It's a job of government to fix infrastructure. So if you are expecting retailers to fix roads and build highways and build logistics parks, it's not going to happen. They're not going to do it. End of the day, nobody's going to come in here to say, let me lose money for the next 20 years and not blink. They're here to make money. They will be patient, whether it takes them 5 years or 7 years or 10 years to break even. They will have the patience. But they are not going to fix our infrastructure and we shouldn't expect them to. But can I just uh, end by saying that, listen, let's not forget that retail already today is a $45 billion market in India with or without FDI. We're saying there will be another $25 billion that is ready to be added today. So I would actually urge everybody to think about it like a marathon. And we're saying at least the starting shot has gone off now. And for the next 50 years, we will keep getting better and better and better at it. And don't forget that 1991 was that many years ago. But we're getting better and better as we go along. So I think let's just take a long-term perspective. Great. Nicely put. Thank you very much, all, all the three of you. Thank you. Thank you and good night. Thank you. Good night. And all you listeners, you can get this podcast on ForbesIndia.com as well as TheIndicast.com. And you can subscribe to Forbes by messaging Forbes to 51818. You can also find us on iTunes. Get this podcast for free and comment. We would love to hear from you.